Chapter Twenty Four of North Pole Voyages by Zaharia A. Mudge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four: Eskimo Kindness. The company made slow and tiresome progress by Littleton Island, and were carrying their entire load forward in parcels to the mainland at the northern opening of Etah Bay, when the sad news was whispered to Doctor Kane who was with the advanced party, that Olsen was dead. A gloom spread over the whole company. The fact was carefully concealed from the Eskimo, who were sent to Etah under the pretext of bringing back a supply of birds, the entire dog-force being given them to hasten their departure. The funeral service, though attended by sincere grief, was necessarily brief. The body was sewed up, in Olsen's own blankets, the burial service read, the prayer offered, and it was borne by his comrades in solemn procession to a little gorge on the shore, and deposited in a trench made with extreme difficulty. A sheet of lead, on which his name and age was cut, was laid upon his breast. A monument of stones was erected over it, to preserve it from the beasts of prey, and to mark the spot. They named the land which overshadowed the spot Cape Olsen. Having given two quiet hours after the funeral service to the solemn occasion, the work at the drag ropes was continued. The Eskimo returned in full force and with abundant provisions. They took their turn at the drag ropes with a shout. They carried the sick on their sledges and relieved the whole expedition from care concerning their supplies. They brought in one week eight dozen sea-fowl, little auks, caught in their hand-nets, and fed men and dogs. All eight, hunger was fully satisfied, care for the time departed, the men broke out into their old forecastle songs, and the sledges went merrily forward with laugh and jest. Passing round Cape Alexander, down Etah Bay, a short distance towards the settlement, the expedition encamped. The long-sought, coveted open water was only three miles away. Its roar saluted their ears, and its scent cheered their hearts. The difficult and delicate work of preparing the boats for the sea voyage now commenced. In the meantime, the people of Etah, men, women, and children, came and encamped in their midst, leaving only three persons, two old women and a blind old man, in the settlement. They slept in the red eric and fed on the stew cooked for them in the big camp kettle. Each one had a keepsake of a file, a knife, a saw, or some such article of great value. The children had each that great medicine for Eskimo sickness, a piece of soap, for which they merrily shouted, Thank you, thank you, big chief. There was joy in the Eskimo camp which knew but one sorrow, that of the speedy departure of the strangers. At the mention of this, one woman stepped behind a tent screen and wept, wiping her teary face with a bird skin. Dr. Kane rode to Etah to bid the aged invalids good-bye. Then came the last distribution of presents. Everyone had something, but the great gift of amputating knives went to the chief, Metek, and the patriarch, Nesark. The dogs were given to the community at large, excepting Todlamek and Whitey, these veterans of many well-fought battlefields, were reserved to share the homeward fortunes of their owners. Tudla was no common dog, 
but earned for himself a place in dog history. As we are to meet the dogs no more in our narrative, we will give Tudla's portrait to be set up with our pen sketches. He was purchased at Upernavik, and so he received the advantages of, at least, a partially civilized education. His head was more compact, his nose less pointed than most dogs of his kind, and his eye denoted affection and self-reliance, and his carriage was bold and defiant. Tudla, at the commencement of the cruise, appointed himself general-in-chief of all the dogs. Now it often happens, with dogs as well as with men, that to assume superiority is much easier than to maintain it. But Tudla's generalship was never successfully disputed, the position, however, cost him many a hard-fought battle, for the newcomers naturally desired to test his title to rule. These he soundly whipped on their introduction to the pack. He even often left the brig's side, head erect, tail gracefully curled over his back, and moved toward the stranger dog with a proud, defiant air, as much as to say, I muster here, sir. If this was doubted, he vindicated his boasting on the spot. Such tyranny excited rebellions, of course, and strong combinations were formed against him. But dogs which had been trounced individually make weak organizations, and the coalitions gave way before Tudla's prowess. It is but fair, however, to say that he had strong allies upon whom he fell back in great emergencies, the sailors. Tudla died in Philadelphia, and still lives, that is, his stuffed skin still exists in the museum, of the Philadelphia Academy of Natural Sciences. His reputation is of the same sort as that of many of the heroes of history, and worth as much to the world. Dr. Kane, having distributed the presents and disposed of the dogs, there was nothing now but the farewell address to render the parting ceremony complete. Dr. Kane called the natives about him and spoke to them through Peterson as interpreter. He talked to them as those from whom kindness had been received, and to whom a return was to be made. He told them about the tribes of their countrymen farther south, whom he knew, and from whom they were separated by the glaciers and the sea. He spoke of the longer daylight, the less cold, the more abundant game, the driftwood, the fishing nets, and kayaks of these relatives. He tried to explain to them that under bold and cautious guidance they might, in the course of a season or two, reach this happier region. During this talk they crowded closer and closer to the speaker, and listened with breathless attention to his remarks, often looking at each other significantly. Having thus parted with the natives, our exploring party hauled their boats to the margin of the ice. The Red Eric was launched, and three cheers were given, for Henry Grinnell and Homeward Bound. But the Storm King said, not yet. He sounded an alarm in their ears, and they drew the Eric from the water and retreated on the floe, which broke up in their rear with great rapidity. Back, back they tramped, wearily and painfully, all that night, until the next day they found a sheltering berg near the land, where they made a halt. Here they rested until the wind had spent its wrath, and the sea had settled into a placid quiet. Their voyaging on the floe with drag ropes and sledges was ended. End of chapter 24